You're listening to the Bulldog Hour, getting you inside the Wilson football program with weekly game previews, recaps, highlights, and interviews. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Raffoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Season 2 of The Bulldog Hour. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Mays, and sitting next to me, my co-host, Justin Raffoff. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back. You know, kind of been piecing these together. Uh, you know, did some of the legwork for these throughout the summer, uh, but now kind of putting it together right in time for uh, the big game next week, or the big game to open whenever you see this. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest game probably on the schedule for nearly everyone, especially the current students and the alumni and general community. It's pretty high up there. And of course, we're referring to the rivalry game against Mifflin, which has in the past been featured as the Pennsylvania State Game of the Week. I believe that was three years ago in 2013, which was broadcast on PCN throughout the entire state of Pennsylvania. And it's a big one. It's one of the the best rivalries in the state. And it's been played... A lot, a long time, almost 70 time, I think, the two teams have met now, which is uh, pretty crazy. And we'll get into that game and all the games on the Bulldogs 2016 schedule just a little bit later in the show. But first up, we're going to talk with some of the players. We have some interviews that we sat down with a couple different groups of players. So we'll be getting to that just briefly. We're also going to cover the two scrimmages that have recently been played and wrapped up and break down what we expect to be the starting lineups on offense and defense for your 2016 Wilson Bulldogs. So we're going to dive right into it here and start with the this team, this 2016 team uh, featuring some returning players from last year's 10-2 and squad uh, and also some players that you know were in the rotation a year ago but they're going to be asked to play a more significant role this year. And then we always have a few surprises that even throughout the, you know, the two a day camps, you don't really expect to see much during the season. Then all of a sudden steps up. It uh, could be a senior, it could be an underclassman. We never quite know, but we're going to go over who we think's going to be in the starting offense and the starting defense uh, to our best knowledge based on film review, talking with coaches and players alike. All right, so first up, let's look at what we expect to be the 2016 Wilson Bulldog football starting offense. And there are a couple areas that we honestly were not 100% sure on because it doesn't seem that the coaching staff has settled on a starter yet. So bear with us as we go through this. We'll start with the offensive line. And we have a couple returners there, which is always a good thing. You like having the trenches solidified. And that'll start with returning tackle Isaiah Regal number 50 he is a senior this season last year he played right tackle he's shifting over to the left side for the 2016 season next to him at left guard will be junior Hunter Nash that's the way it's trending right now although we could see fellow junior Chris Price number 53 take over that spot at center number 57 Jake Morris he is also a returning starter having your center back is always a great thing to have. He played well last year for the Bulldogs. That time may have been the, their best offensive lineman, and he will return to start at center. At right guard, another senior, but first-year starter, 
will be number 55, Franz Borden. And filling out the offensive line will be right tackle. Another Sean Hour, Wyatt, a junior, number 65, is expected to start there. So two juniors, three seniors, two returning starters out of five. Now moving on to the skill positions, it's tough to single out exactly which wide receivers will be starting. We have a general idea, but there's going to be one or two that will rotate in there for sure. But the ones we know are definitely going to get a long look at wide receiver are senior Fode Jalo, number one, <clears throat> senior Mason McElroy, number 21, and incoming uh, transfer player from the state of Illinois, senior Justin Weller, number 18. We also expect number five, Brian Wright, a fellow senior, to see time there, and as well as uh, number eight, Nick Zapone, and even uh, one or two underclassmen that ha- are starting to impress. But Jalo, McElroy, Weller, probably your top three with a little bit of Brian Wright and Nick Zapone thrown in there as well. At tight end, a returning starter, Alex Twyford, number 34, a senior. And then it comes to a place where it's a little bit up in the air of who will get the start. I will at least see a rotation at running back, and we could see as many as four players take significant carries there. We're leaning right now towards number two, Tommy O'Brien, a senior or number 28, Iggy Reynoso, a junior who moved into the district from Hamburg. And at quarterback, still question marks there. Who's going to get the start? It's between two juniors, number 17, Grayson Klein, or number 12, Connor Urig. And that is one competition that is going to probably linger through the rest of this coming week, leading up to the Governor Mifflin game on Friday, September 2nd. Now, last year, I believe, a day before the Mifflin game, we had the announcement that then-senior Colin Powers was going to get the start over fellow-senior Jake Klein. Last year was, at the time, was a a bit of a surprise. Uh, You know, um, despite the coaching staff kind of saying it all summer, that it was a competition, it was a competition, um, you know, everybody had kind of penciled in their alignment for the offense last year, and then... Like you said, um, I think on the Thursday or the Friday morning, like in the paper, it, it was written there that um, Powers was going to get the start against Mifflin and ended up having, uh, you know, by statistical, you know, uh, measurements, um, an incredible year um, and, and played really, really well throughout the year. So um, kind of was off the radar a little bit, you know, especially to those that aren't really in tune with the program. Um, and kind of put in a great summer and, and earned that spot and then definitely played, you know, that that tough loss to Central Dolphin in week three last year. He played put really up well. historic numbers. Yes. For over 300-some yards against an incredible team. Um, so it, he had some great games last year and, and earned it really kind of late in the summer. So, you know, you mentioned not just the quarterbacks, a bunch of the positions are kind of unsettled yet and – you know, they, they've got this week to kind of, and in reality, longer, but week one is next, is coming up. And so some of those position battles are going to start to be, um, you know, worked out based on, on guys stepping up and kind of seizing the position. Hopefully that's how it turns out. Yeah, and I know quarterback is the position that everyone wants to focus on and talk about. And, and why not? It's the most important position on the field. Generally, if you have a great 
player at that position, whether he was great entering the season or becomes great during the season, you're going to win a lot of games. And it comes down to these two players and Klein and Yurik. They've been battling it out. They've been back and forth with each other. They've both gotten opportunities in the scrimmages, which we'll take a look at in a few minutes. But really, I think the position that's intrigues me the most is running back. And it's not really because it's a, a really an open competition. It's really just they have quite the stable and they should have yeah. a really healthy rotation. Now, Tommy O'Brien got plenty of time last year as a junior to show his stuff especially against McCaskey, you know, Shane Dantzler went out injured and then Bailey McElroy followed suit. Tommy O'Brien stepped in there and played really well to position. He'll get some, he'll get carries this year. Everyone's really excited about Iggy Reynoso coming over from Hamburg. He was absolutely incredible last year, kind of playing that wildcat position uh, and uh, rushing for a, a ton of yards and touchdowns. He's think he scored 24 touchdowns last year for <laughs> Hamburg, which is pretty impressive when you only play 10 games in the regular season. Yeah. And then you also have, uh, Every year you have a, a senior running back that'll get some carries that not many people knew of as an underclassman. And I think this year's edition of that is going to be Malachi Clore, number three. And then finally you have, um, super freshman Abdul McFoy, which, uh, was just tearing it up in, you know, Pop Warner a few years ago. And for the, uh, the middle school team last season, he was pulled up to the varsity squad this season and he'll get some carries probably in, in meaningful time to spell the other guys, especially if they're playing both ways. So you have four running backs there that have a lot of talent and kind of vary throughout the, the, the uh, the depth chart based on, um, their age group. You got a ninth grader. A junior and two seniors. So it'll be great to see what Coach Peterson does with them. And we talked to him about it on the previous show about uh, the running back situation entering the season. Yeah, and you have some varying styles um, with some of those running backs too. So, you know, it, it's there will be multiple factors that go into playing time there. But, you know, again, you know, uh, it, it's a good problem to have at the running back position when it looks like you've got a number of guys who can carry the ball. Uh, Cause you'll probably need them as, as the season progresses, you'll need those different guys to contribute. Um, you know, I, I'm not speaking specifically to the Wilson quarterback position, but you know, there's that adage about two quarterbacks, you know, it, it, do you have two quarterbacks because they're both just equally kind of fighting it out or do you have it? Cause neither one has kind of, you know, put a stranglehold on the position yet. I, I can't speak to that for the Wilson position because, you know, I haven't seen them all summer and things like that. But again, there was competition last summer. There's competition right now, I would say. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out through this week and into the beginning of the season to see does one guy separate himself as as the starter. All right, so that's an overview of the offense, our expected starters, and some of the competition going on between everyone. Let's now take a look at the other side of the ball, which has been Wilson's bread and butter and what they've known about, been known for for many years now. And that is on the defensive side, of course, led by defensive coordinator Ernie Wolber. You're going to hear some familiar names on this list, both from starters from last season and also some players that we expect to start on offense. Let's start at the defensive line again. And we've got Mr. Isaiah Regal here once again, number 50, a senior. Inside will be Jake Morris and Wyatt Schonauer. And at the other defensive end spot, expect senior Alex Twyford, who also kind of gets some opportunities to play edge-rushing linebacker, uh, similar to what we saw Junior Joseph play in 2012 and Dominic Negrelli in 2013. Uh, he's kind of that what 
in the pro ranks, what we saw the Seahawks and that Jaguars run, and I think at times USC with Pete Carroll was that kind of hybrid elephant player where he could play with his hand in the dirt at defensive end, but also rush the passer and drop back. And that's what Alex Twyford's going to bring to the table for this edition of the Bulldog defense. At outside linebacker, Fode Jallo, who's already a two-year starter, this will be his third season starting an outside linebacker for the Bulldogs. Across from him will be number five senior Brian Wright. We mentioned him as being in the rotation for wide receiver. Then inside you'll have a second-year starter and senior number four, Leo Quigley. And next to him, probably number 42, Elliot Bob, a fellow senior. But expect to see senior number 47, Chad Lewis, to get some snaps in there, as well as a few other players uh, aiming to play next to Quigley. In the secondary, Senior Tommy O'Brien got some spot starts the last few seasons for an injured John Fox. He also has come on in nickel and dime and sub packages. He'll start at safety for the Bulldogs. And on the outside, we'll have Mason McElroy and junior number nine, Trevor Tanga. And, of course, there's also going to be a few other players trotting on in the field when we face those four and five wide uh, offenses. So again, a very senior-laden team, but that's not all that uncommon for a Wilson team. No, and uh, it's interesting that there was the article in the paper uh, recently that just kind of talked about uh, that that mindset at Wilson where there's a lot of guys that know that they have to put in their time. And we'll see spots you know, on special teams or in certain packages um, as underclassmen. But in reality, they may not really get their time to shine until they're – they're a senior. Um, and if you look at, at the projected, you know, our projections, not nothing set there. Um, but if you look at our projections, uh, once again, y- you have a lot of seniors, um, some of which, like you mentioned, like Fode has, will be a three year starter. Uh, Twyford has, has seen significant time for a few years. Um, but then you have other guys like, um, Mason and Tommy who saw various roles last year, but then you have some other seniors who, you know, for various reasons are looking to get their first amount of significant time, uh, this season coming up. So you, you kind of have that mix and that seems to be the the theme every year. You've got the multi-year starters, you've got the guys who have had plenty of experience, whether it's due to injury or certain packages or all kinds of things. And then you have guys who, um, haven't seen the, much of the field on, on Friday nights, but, um, you know, due to certain situations may have seen a little bit and now are getting their time to kind of step up and be contributors. And we've mentioned this on maybe every episode of, of our show here, but it's oftentimes those guys that kind of um, differentiate how the season's going to go. There's certain yeah. expectations that, you know, are kind of set regardless of how the team kind of shapes up. But what separates those teams kind of will deter be based heavily on, not just how do those three-year starters go and how do the guys that, um, you know, got some time before, but how about the guys who are really going to get their first significant time this year? How, right. how well do they come along? How much do they improve over the summer? How much do they improve each week and kind of peak at the end of the season? And that's, we, we talk about that a lot. That's kind of a key part there. Some of these guys are getting their first real time, significant time in big games early in the season. They'll be, you know, it's trial by fire with the non-league schedule that, which we'll get to in a little bit. So, you know, there's a lot of growing up that needs to do on, needs to be done on the field. And that can lead 
if it's handled properly, can lead to big strides being made throughout the season and playing your best at the end. The epitome of the strong Wilson teams throughout history, the last 40 years, have always been the reliance on upcoming seniors playing their last year that probably weren't significant contributors at underclassmen, but it clicks or they finally get their opportunity as a senior to take charge. And most recently, we saw that happen in 2013 and to a lesser extent, 2014. Neither of those teams coming in were thought to be expected to be among the best that we've seen. And, you know, all 2013 did was go undefeated in the regular season and finished just, uh, you know, a few seconds shy of going back to a district championship game. Then the next year, 2014, everyone thought was a year away from being the team and, you know, all they did is made it to the state semifinal and were winning that game right. in the fourth one, quarter. One of the guys that comes to mind with me from those recent teams is, and this might be unfair on my part, but Connor Ritter. That's exactly who like, I was going to say. You know, he was a guy who, yeah, he was probably going to step into that role. People knew that, but man, did he, he played have a like a man on fire year. in yeah. 2014. Un- unbelievable. And, yep. and He's just one example of many. Yep. And so. that, that 2014 team was. Kind of came out of nowhere. You know, we had a lot of guys, a lot of talented players coming back that were still underclassmen. Like I said, kind of building towards 2015, towards last season. And I know some of the seniors of the 2014 team felt that they were being overlooked. And if they, you know, if they felt that that fire was underneath them, well, they got the job done. Because 2014 was one of the more surprising seasons just because they were literally like, what, 10 minutes away from making the state title game? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this season we'll find that um, the class of 17 will step up in the fall of 2016 and fill in the gaps around those guys like Afode Jolo and Alex Twyford uh, and Tommy O'Brien and, and Isaiah Regal and you know Jake Morris, all the players that have already started as underclassmen. Now mm-hmm. hopefully they get that teammate to gel and come together and play like, like literally, this is the last fifteen weeks of possibly your football career, right? And every year Wilson seems to do that. So hopefully, twenty sixteen isn't any different. Now you've heard from us. Just talked a little bit about our expectations for offense and defense. Why don't we throw this to the players now? Justin and I sat down with three different groups of players. And we have interviews with each group for you to go over. Now, the first up will be an interview with Isaiah Regal, Fode Jalo, Alex Twyford, and Leo Quigley. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, we've got Isaiah Regal, Twyford, Fode Jalo, Leo Quigley. All right, so Friday, November 20th, 2015 was the last time you guys wore the uniform, the one that matters, and things didn't end exactly the way I think you all wanted it to. Go back to that night and just tell us what you were thinking as that game came to an end. Uh, I think it's just unfinished business for this year. We have a lot coming, not a lot coming back, but the guys up here, it was a big game for us. Uh, I guess it didn't end the way we wanted it to, and we want to come back this year stronger. Redemption. And, yeah, redemption. Maybe maybe see them again in the playoffs and get some revenge. Yeah, CD East, the team yeah. that um, you guys really dominated in uh, week two last year, um, came back, and they were on a mission in the playoffs. They were playing extremely well. 
Uh, unfortunately, they chose not to play us this year, so you don't get to see them in the regular season. But uh, since they were the last team in the 6A, it's definitely a possibility that come playoff time, it's a team you could face. I'm sure you guys will be looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's look forward to this year. This, this, this is your guys' year. You're the seniors. You're part of the leadership here. You're going to be ready to go. you got 10 games, a lot riding. We're looking for a ninth straight league title. You want to continue the league domination. Haven't lost a game since 2007 in the league. And we want that to continue. But what are your um, team and individually expectations for this season? Definitely want to win the league again. Want to go out and we're going to try and win. Our beat Mifflin. Yeah, yeah, beat, beat Mifflin. Most definitely. Right, that's the first one. Beat Mifflin's always up top. We're going to win out the first three non-league games. Definitely yeah. start the year strong and then go into yeah. the league and show that we're about this. Yeah, it's going to be a big game in week two because Spring Forward's going to be on their third game of the season. We're going right. to be on our second, so we need to, we need to push hard that week. to play Central Dolphin, too. Yeah, right, Central a little bit of a revenge there in the first. You yeah, guys really yeah. hung tough. That was a brutal game last year yeah. in week three against them, falling 20-19. to 19. It was the first regular season loss since 2012. Yeah. Um, it was a battle, you know, and they're a great team. Obviously, they went to the district championship last year and lost in that epic overtime game to Cumberland Valley. But uh, that non-league slate is brutal. Uh, yeah. Starting with Mifflin, huge rivalry, always tough, yeah. no matter what they have coming back, either side. And Springford, you mentioned in week two, with uh, them having an actual game in week zero, yeah. they had that extra regular season game in front of you. Now, you guys seen them a lot because of the yeah. scrimmages over the years, but um, live action a little bit different. At least you get them here at Gursky. Yeah. And then week three at Central Dolphin. So that, yeah, we talked to P Coach Peterson a little bit about that non-league slate. Do you guys use that kind of as a barometer entering the year, yeah. knowing where you're at because those games are so tough? Yeah. Um, we yeah. usually look forward to them because um, it, they're good teams and they're out of the league and it's really fun and they're pretty good, so we look forward to it. It gives us good four-league competition so yeah. we can get it gets us ready, too, for yeah. the season. Yeah, most of the time we know we won't see any teams that are yeah. tougher than those three teams, unless like Hempfield or Penn Manor and stuff like that. And usually we end up playing them in playoffs too. Yeah. So yeah, right, yeah, you yeah. guys done a lot of double yeah. dipping with those non-league teams over the year. I know uh, two years ago you played them all again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it starts us off on the right path yeah. for the regular season in the league. You guys kind of mentioned this, at least a few of you, but I'll just go one by one. Which is your most anticipated game of the year? Is it Mifflin? Is it Dolphin? Regal? I'd probably most anticipate Central Dolphin. Central Dolphin? I'd say Central Dolphin. Central Dolphin? Central Dolphin? Central Dolphin. Four for four. We'll see what the other guys say. All right, looking back now, most of you have two years. Some of you have three years under your belt now. Looking back across your career thus far, what was your most memorable game to have participated in? Um, I would say the Hempfield game uh, um, from last this past year, twenty fifteen. Yeah, that was a, that was a uh, yeah right. Yeah, I guess you got a little little, little personal aspect of that to end the game. So twenty fifteen Hempfield was yours. Mifflin, Mifflin most definitely. Mifflin from twenty fourteen. No, twenty fifteen. Last year, okay. I'd say the District Three Championship from two years ago. The 2014 yeah, district 20, championship yeah. against Central Dolphin. Yeah. Okay. 2015 Manhattan Township. 2015 Manhattan Township. Yeah. That was a, that was a, epic game. That was a, that was a pretty crazy game. Everyone thought it would be close, and you guys just, just dominated. That was a great game. Are all of you um, interested in playing college football? Yeah. yeah. 
I know, um, Twyford, you committed to Bucknell recently. Yeah. Congratulations Sorry, yeah. on Thanks. that. Thanks. Um, Regal, is there somewhere you're interested in playing? You just want to keep playing? I just want to keep playing. You want to keep playing? Keep playing. Leo, Dakota? I know you have some offers out there. Do you have a commitment timetable? Just kind of playing it by ear? All right. Well, good. I hope I hope you guys all all go where you want to. And congratulations again on the commitment. Thanks. So we saw a little uh, subtle helmet changes this year. Yeah. Just a little chrome to the bulldog and the red stripe. Now, were you guys surprised? Did you know anything about that happening? No, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I was thinking New Jersey. You thinking New Jersey? I was thinking. Yeah. I thought New Jersey. Jersey. Or away yeah. jerseys or something. But I like it, yeah. Just a little bit different. You know, they're never going to go all flash like some of the schools, yeah. and they were never going to be Oregon. But uh, any, anything to add a little little subtle changes like that, it was uh, interesting to see. I wanted to get your guys' take on that for sure. Did you guys growing up, if you, if you all lived around here when you were younger playing Lincoln Park, Van Reed, or, or even just joining in middle school, was there ever a formal Bulldog player that you uh, really looked up to or really enjoyed to watch while you were watching the high school? Um, I would say Rodney Gillen. Yes, I was Gillen? Just, <laughs> he would score like almost every time he got the ball. So everyone wanted to be running backs in the head growing up. So I would say Rodney Okay. No, really, <laughs> I haven't really played. Like, no, okay. Uh, I'd say Rothrock. Rothrock, okay. Yeah, I grew up, my brother was friends with him a little bit growing up, so I knew who he was. I always heard his name. Yeah. Anyone? Not really? <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't pay attention? Just came around to hang out? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, let's get a couple, couple simple ones, a couple ones that the kids are always asking the little kids now that are looking up to you guys and in a few years are going to be sitting here saying that they like to, to uh, watch Twyford and Fode play. Um, <laughs> how about your guys' favorite NFL teams? Eagles. Steelers. Colts. I used to like the Seahawks, but now everyone <laughs> likes them a little bit, so more the Eagles. All right. All right. Eagles. So I, guess I knew you were a Steelers fan. Yeah. Um, what about NFL player? Who's your favorite? Patrick Willis. Willis. Gronk. Matthew Gronk, Gronk, right. was that Antonio? Okay, all right. And um, what about college teams? Like, I know you guys want to play college ball, but what about college football? Where do you like, or, or maybe where do you like to go and watch a college game? It doesn't have to be the team Michigan. you like. It's Michigan, Big House, yeah. Penn State, I guess. Penn State. <laughs> Georgia. All right, cool. All right. I don't know. Do we want, we want to ask them to rip on their teammates a little bit? To do that. All right. Let's see. What's some good good questions about the teammates that people might enjoy? Ask about reasons. Who 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 has like the best excuses? Like who comes up with a reason for not doing something? Brian. 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 Brian right. Who's someone you want to let know? They need to wash their stuff. Who stinks? Franz. Who has the best nickname? Yeah. Yeah. Shrek. Shrek. I'm the best one. That one's hanging around. How about who? 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 Um, of the young guys, the, the new ninth graders and the new tenth graders, do you think's got a lot of potential? Um, maybe Mike, Mikey Klein. 
Oh, like uh, freshmen are going to be yeah, sophomores. Ninth or tenth. I know there's a couple of players up here. Yeah, Joey, Joey Fox, Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikey Klein, Murphy shoes. Yeah, Murphy. Hey, Magalotti. Cameron Magalotti. Yeah. All right. So some, you know, some of the tough questions that we like to throw to them about the upcoming season and being seniors and all that good stuff. But then some lighthearted stuff about, you know. Who was their favorite player growing up, and and some NFL questions and things like that, and I think they had a lot of fun with it. Um, there was a little bit of uh, video recording issues in the middle of it, so if you were watching on YouTube and all of a sudden it went to a black screen, just saying that you were watching the Bulldog Hour, you know, technical issues happen sometimes, but uh, it was all there. The audio was there. We captured everything. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed their answers, and we got more where that came from. We're gonna now talk to. Um, another set of three seniors in Mason McElroy, Elliot Bob, and Tommy O'Brien. Uh, we have Elliot Bob, Mason McElroy, and Tommy O'Brien here. Um, kind of to start off, uh, we're, we're going to take a look back um, last year on November 20th. Um, season kind of ended abruptly. Um, not, not everybody was really expecting that. Um, if you can take us back, um, I know it's not a, a favorite memory necessarily, but kind of like, you know, being, being juniors last year, coming into your senior year, what, what was your thought, um, at the end of that game? Um, kind of what, what thought process did you guys have? Um, you know, it was definitely tough seeing some of the seniors that we played with all year long, uh, all our lives really, uh, never playing with them again. It was definitely something we didn't expect. But it sort of serves as some sort of motivation as a, for us going into the next season and uh, seeing how they felt. We don't want to have the same feeling after this season. I mean, I know only one team in Class 6A really goes out on top, but we want to push ourselves to motivate ourselves and have a better ending than we did last year. And we, we definitely looked them looked over like past them because we beat them like 38-0 at, at, um, at the f- first time we played them. And, like, the whole year, the motto was, like, we're trying to win states, we're trying to win states, but, like, we weren't really, like, preparing for what we do, have to do to get to states. And I think that's what, why we came up short in that game. Um, I didn't even play in the game, but I feel like um, when you're a junior, you don't cherish the, the time on the field as much as you do when you're a senior. And I think once um, we knew that they were gone, like, that, that moment kind of hit us, that, like, we're taking over now, and, like, we have to cherish, like, what we have left of our... Yeah. So, like you said, you know, kind of different experience with the injury last year. Um, but kind of getting that perspective of if you're not ready to go, it can it can end before you're ready for it to end. Um, and sometimes that's out of your control. Sometimes, you know, there are more things you could have done, and you don't you don't want to have that. You you want to limit those the things that that you could have done. Um, all right. So, kind of moving past that, um, looking forward to um, to to this year. What are some expectations that you have kind of as a team and, and maybe individually? Um, what are kind of some of your expectations coming into this season? Uh, no. we, uh, we really want to sort of have a different mindset coming into this season. You know, we have really big shoes to fill, uh, but we definitely have some people that are going to surprise some people because they didn't have a chance. You know, we had so many people graduate that didn't have a chance to prove themselves the past few seasons. Um, we want to sort of always play like you're the underdog you know we don't want to go in over our heads like we did sometimes last year um we definitely just want to be good leaders to any of the underclassmen 
Yeah, I know uh, John Fox was a really good leader for me. I came in as a safety. I only played safety halfway through sophomore year, and he really uh, was a really good leader to me. And I want to sort of do the same thing with some of these other underclassmen, really helping them out. Uh, we definitely have to practice harder. Like last year, you know, we would just kind of walk through things, even if it was like a um, like a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Like we're definitely going to go harder this year and make sure again November twentieth doesn't happen again. Um, I think main goal, obviously Mifflin, that's what we prepare for um, the whole summer leading up to, and then we go from there. And then next district championship and next uh, state championship. So kind of, yeah, kind of taking it. Yeah, one step at a time. Yeah, right. I don't want to get too far. Yeah, ahead, it's, so. it's cliche, and the coach, you know, we heard Palm say it, kind of, and but it's really something that the championship teams do. You buy in. You have to go week by week. You start getting ahead of yourself. That's what this what this program does too. Like once you buy in, like everything works. Like when Tory Coates moved here last year, Dom would always say to him, "This kid bought into our program, and like he did an awesome job for us." And I think once you really buy into the program, like you're gonna flourish. Right? Yeah. Because I think if I remember, Coach Wolver told me when he moved in, he was a running back. Right? Wasn't that what he? That's yeah. Yeah. Was a running back. An outside linebacker. Yeah. Right, right. Running back and outside linebacker, and moving moving in here with the talent that was here, that wasn't going to happen. But he bought in, and they saw in, what in a drill that he no one could block him, and he moved the tackle and became part of that rotation, and it had an incredible year. And it's just one thing that the, the program offers that sets it sets it apart from some of the others in in the area. All right. So again, kind of another question about the upcoming year. Um, what would you say is your most anticipated game of 2016 uh, right now? Definitely Governor Mifflin. Mifflin week one. Right? Another another big one would be Spring Ford. Uh, right. You know, we scrimmaged them. We never really got a chance to play them. We always played them growing up. They're a big school, good school to play, so we're excited for that one too. Third, I would definitely say Central Dolphin. They're so one, two, three. Years, top, three so. top three games. Yeah, yeah. Three, the first three weeks are going to be tough, yeah. so we're going to have to have our minds now. All right. Um, kind of reflecting back again, uh, of the to this point so far, what's your uh, most memorable moment of, of your career um, to this point? I probably have to say the CD East game when we won nine to six to make it to Hershey. You know, uh, I had uh, actually had pneumonia going into that game. It was, it was, it was like had to be felt like it was zero degrees outside. Um, we came together as a team. It was a defensive game, and it was really memorable for me. We really felt like a family when we were playing out there. And uh, I actually had to come out of the game a few times because I felt so sick. But I had my teammates behind my back, and that was a really memorable moment for me. But, um, mine's probably the bus ride back from Altoona two years ago because like, that's a five-hour ride, and we just lost a game like that we probably could have and should have won, and that was that was terrible. I'll just and on like at a bad note like that was that'll always stick with me. That I'm right bad, I'm good, good, good. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess what the game before winning the district championship that was that was a good one. Um, well, rejoining the football team this year, um, I really only have one choice, and that'd be the Mifflin game. Second game, first play, I got in the game, broke my ankle, but um, coming out Friday night. Um, against Mifflin for my first time. It was surreal under the lights and how loud it was. So I'd have to say that when I got my first taste of what it was like to be on the field. Um, let's see. Uh, kind of moving forward, I know uh, some of you guys um, 
you know, play multiple sports. Um, what are, what are your plans kind of for moving forward? Yeah. I'm sort of planning on wrestling in college at this point. I've been talking to a few, uh, every division, division one, two, and three. I'm not sort of set on a school, but I'm just sort of getting myself out there. Um, I'm undecided whether I want to play football or basketball yet, but it dep- it like changes every day. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm just going to play it by year, see what kind of season I have this year, and see if I'm going to play in college yet, but I'm not completely sure. Yeah, no problem. All right. Um, noticed um, when we saw him a couple weeks ago uh, for spring practice that there were some slight changes uh, to the helmet. What are what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> It's about as big of a change as you're going to see around here, yeah. probably, right? Yeah. I like it. Definitely has a cool feeling. Yeah. I think being like Wilson's always been kind of a traditional team, and when you see like a little flash, like it's something out of the ordinary. So um, just something out of the ordinary. Yeah, true. It's subtle enough, but yeah, it's, it's definitely cool when you see him up close. I think under the lights, especially because a lot of the colleges are doing that now. It's like, it's really cool to them. And I think it's probably like a black helmet. Yeah. 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 Not that in depth, but. Was so dumb, yeah, I'm not sure. Even even whenever whenever he moves on, someone else comes in. I don't I don't know if Wilson's got an organ in them, so uh, the, the the Chrome Bulldog and Chrome Stripe might be all you get. So. All right. Um. You know, you, you guys have be, have been in the program for a few years now, but if you go back before that, when when you were younger, um, is it, was there a player or some players that kind of stuck out that that you really enjoyed watching uh, when you were younger? My brother actually played in the program. I always looked up to him, but uh, his year, you know, Tyler Beck was a really good, uh, I always watched him. He, he loved the game. He uh, played on the Patriots for a little bit, you know, uh, went to Bowling Green. He was, I really looked up to him. He always played with heart on the field, so he was definitely something I looked up to. I would say Zach Zwazig and Rodney Gillen, because, like, without them, I'm not saying the team would fall apart, but they're very valuable. Like. You saw what happened in that Mifflin game when Rodney wasn't playing. Like, they didn't do so well. Like, when Rodney came back, it was great. Like, Rodney's a valuable player, and so is Zach. For me, I have to say uh, Dom Ware. I grew up with him and his family, and um, he kind of reminded me a lot of myself. Like, he was a little undersized for his position, uh, a little undersized for my position, and he just worked hard and, and uh, got it done. Um, but, yeah, growing up with him and seeing him play was definitely an inspiration for me. So, the superlatives. Um, so, all right, just a couple questions about your teammates. Who always has an excuse or always has the best excuses? I think they said it last yeah. week. You Definitely, Ryan. Yeah. Definitely, Ryan. Yeah. 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 And it comes late to lifting. <laughs> like, how, uh, dude? Paul bus on is like, Brian, you hit traffic? Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that, he pretty much takes the cake for that one. Yeah. Um, I think everyone on the team would say that, too. Right. Yeah. I forget what. what Who's the one that needs to clean their locker? Who, who stinks? So last year was definitely Ike. Ike. Okay. <laughs> um, what about this year? Me being next to him, uh, it was bad. So, this uh, year? Um, they said Franz. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Probably Franz. I'd say just between Franz and Regal. Part of line, going to get food, but yeah. Just like the whole uh, starting line, line there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember who you're talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. Regal's uh, not clean. Franz is not clean. Who is the best What about I mean, we call Shre- Regal, Regal Shrek. Regal Shrek. Shrek. Yeah. That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. All right, how, how about, about um, um, the ones that the, the, the little kids that are watching you now? They're looking up to you. They they want to know uh, who some of your favorites are. So like, what's your NFL team? I'd say Vikings for me. Uh, now I'm wearing a Bill shirt. But this is my dad's. Uh, I'm also a Vikings fan. I'll, I'll root for the Eagles too, but I don't really have a set team. All right. So same questions posed to McElroy, Bob, and O'Brien as we sent up earlier. Again, some interesting takes on the upcoming season. I don't think they really held back. They talked about the end of last year candidly and what they expect to happen this year. Uh, all the guys we've interviewed so far, all, all uh, seven of them were, were very, very interested and excited for the season. And now we're just a few days away. Now, the last group of interviews is with incoming transfer player Justin Weller, as I mentioned, moved in with his family from Illinois. And one of the potential starting quarterbacks in junior Grayson Klein. And I noticed over the summer that the two of them really developed nice chemistry. I think ever since uh, Weller moved in, him and Klein had been practicing with each other, just running routes and, and throwing the ball back and forth pretty much every day he's been here. And he moved in here in early June. So Klein and Weller definitely really close with one another. And hopefully that blossoms throughout the year should Grayson get the nod at quarterback. But we got to talk to them about the upcoming season and what they expect. So let's take a listen to what Justin Weller and Grayson Klein have to say. All right, so now we're here with Grayson Klein and Justin Weller. Grayson is a junior and Justin is a senior. We heard Coach Palm talk about Justin and the Weller family moving back into the area. Justin's uh, dad and brother both played for the Wilson football team. Now, we know the quarterback-wide receiver relationship is paramount in order for a successful season. And even with uh, Justin moving here just a few weeks ago, you guys have been kind of inseparable. What has helped you develop the bond so fast? Um, well, we've hung out pretty much almost every single day since I've got here. And he just kind of brought me in as one of the guys, like on the first day when I got here. And just from there, it's just gone up and our relationship's grown stronger from there. Uh, Justin, what what feelings are you having knowing that you're going to get to play for your, the school that your dad and, and your brother uh, graduated from and got to play and, you know, run out on the field, uh, Gursky Stadium? What, what are you feeling uh, as this season uh, rapidly approaches? Well, I just, I honestly cannot wait for the season to start. I'm just so like ecstatic about being able to play for Wilson. Even though I did leave some of my friends behind, I'm going to make a ton of new friends here. So, I mean, from that standpoint, it's going to be a great year. Yeah, it must be tough for you uh, uprooting from uh, Illinois and uh, moving on. You played on a very successful team um, out uh is it outside of the, outside of Chicago? That's um, about twenty miles outside. Twenty miles. Yeah. Nazareth. Nazareth. Yeah. And uh, very, very succe successful uh, two years as a sophomore and a junior out there. Um, and now your senior season, you're finishing at Wilson. Um, not even two weeks here, but what do you make of the Wilson program? I mean, you probably heard stuff from your dad and especially from your brother from four years ago. But what's your um, kind of your first take after not even two weeks here? Um, so it's definitely a lot different because uh, they work out in the summer and they do uh, like physical workouts. While in Illinois, we would do padded practices during the summer because we don't have spring ball. Um, another thing, the offense is a, a lot different. It's a lot more complicated because it's more off memory than off card. Because at my old school, we use cards. 
And so just I'm going to have to learn the offense. Once I learn the offense, it's going to be fun. Is there something, I know you're still learning the playbook, but is there um, a certain play or route that you've come to love already after just a couple weeks? Um, probably my favorite route is definitely a dig route. Um, just a 10 and in, that's my favorite route, or a comeback. Yeah, I got to watch you guys play a seven-on-seven last week, and you'd only been here for a few days, and I know you were you were out there running around, and I could tell there was always already kind of a relationship between you and Grayson. It just seemed that uh, he was looking your way, and uh, whenever he, he he got the ball there, you were making the catch. We saw, I saw a couple of touchdowns in just the two sessions I watched, so it's great to see you guys developing chemistry already after just a few, uh, a few practices with the whole summer to, to go, so... Um, Grayson, these next couple are going to be for you. All right, Grayson. So you're in the middle of a quarterback competition with a fellow junior, Connor Urig. Um, but specifically thinking of uh, your game, um, what aspect has improved the most since you've been pulled up to the team? You were brought up as a freshman, so you've been here a few years now. What aspect of your game do you think has been most improved since you got here? Definitely the knowledge of the playbook because it's, it's a huge playbook. You're never going to learn all of it. But you can come pretty close and being there that extra year certainly helped me what have you taken away from some of the quarterbacks that have played here before you and jake templin Com powers and jake klein the two of them last year have you gotten something different from each of them or is there something specific that you can remember learning as their understudies well they were all a little bit different but they were all pretty smart i mean jake had the physical and then you had jake templin who was he just knew the playbook inside and out so he just made things happen. And then Colin Powers, he was three steps and the ball was out. He was smart with it. The most important position on the field is everyone talks about quarterback because if uh, you got the quarterback position down, you think everyone else says things fall into place. It comes down to quarterback play. So you or your get the job done. And this is what I've heard from, from coaches, players, and, and people in the community saying, if a quarterback steps up this year, this team will be great. That's a lot of pressure. How, how do you deal with that? Like, wh what's your mentality entering the season? You know, if you're the guy, you're the go-to guy. Right. How do you deal with that pressure? I'm just excited for it. I mean, if we know everything, we go out there and we do what we can. We have a lot of weapons on the outside, then we have the running backs coming in. So we're kind of we're loaded up this year. It should be fun. Talk a little bit about a relationship with with your with your center, Jake Morris. Um, probably going to be back again starting this year. He started at center last year. What's the quarterback center relationship like? Well, I've known Jake for a long time. We grew up playing youth football together, and when I got called up freshman year, he was really there. He kind of helped me ease into it. He was my center freshman year, and to see him out there last year doing what he did, it was really great. So I love Jake. Known him for a long time. <clears throat> Now, I know, Justin, it's tough for you to comment on because uh, you haven't been around these teams much, but Grayson, you know these uh, the, the slate of games that you're set to face this year. Is there a specific game that you're looking forward to? I know a lot of people will say Mifflin or even those, the non-league slate, but is there any other ones that you really have circled on the calendar? Um, well, Mifflin, I love playing Mifflin. It'll be the first one. and I think Hempfield we have to get back after last year. That was a tough game. They always play as good. So... It should be fun to try to get them back. What are, and you can, you can both answer this one, uh, what are your expectations for 2016? What, what are your goals, maybe individually and as a team? Um, personally, I just want to help keep the streak alive. You can. Um, well, obviously coming from winning state titles, I would love to win a state title here. <laughs> you like to go three for three, right? Yep.
All right, so you just got done listening to senior wide receiver Justin Weller and junior quarterback Grayson Klein talk about their relationship, their expectations for this season. And uh, that was – so I think we talked to nine players over the summer to get their take on the upcoming 2016 season. And we'll have plenty more of that as the season continues – We're going to talk, hopefully, with players and coaches, possibly before the game, definitely after the game, if they win. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Don't like to talk to anyone if they lose. And we we don't have to. Yeah, if we tried to talk to someone after they lose, it might be the precursor to the last Bulldog Hour ever. (laughs) So we'll try to bring as much video and interviews and all that kind of stuff to you. And we'll talk about that at the end of the show, what to expect from us uh, as the season opener rapidly approaches. So we're going to move on and talk about the schedule this season. We're going to break down each of the 10 guaranteed games. But before do that, before we do that, we the Bulldogs are setting records left and right and we're going to just quickly review some of the ones that they are looking to extend and continue in the 2016 season. The the biggest one at least numerically Maybe not in duration by year, but the number that is the highest right now is their consecutive Lancaster Lebner League Section 1 winning streak standing at 57. Now, they will not be able to continue that until week four, but right now, 57, they set the new mark and broke it every single week last season. I believe they got the mark in league history when they defeated Hempfield. See, I thought they tied it. Did they, they only tie it against Hempfield? I can't remember now. Because I thought they broke it at home. I don't I don't remember. Or maybe, you know what, I think they tied it the week before, and then they went to Hempfield. I don't remember. Yeah, I thought Hempfield I remember that Hempfield game was... Uh, it was a tight it game. It was the closest was game, game they'd had in the streak. And coincidentally, we talked about them, we interviewed them. Alex Twyford scored the go-ahead touchdown, like and Fode Jalot silenced the, right. the Black Knights and, and ended he, the game with think, a sack. If I recall, he picked that as his like standout moment. I think you're right. One of his standout did. moments. Yes, one of the standout yeah. moments. Yeah, you know, it's pretty easy then you yeah, literally the you the literally game. end the game to set a new league record for consecutive wins. And Wilson extended that streak to fifty seven. That's what we'll pick up in twenty sixteen when the Bulldogs uh start Lancaster Eleven League section one play in week four. Now just a, a few numbers behind are their consecutive non-losing seasons, which after the 2015 season is up to 52. And my favorite part of this is, coincidentally, that always aligns with the year that John Gursky arrived in West Lawn, is the prior year, as in the year he wasn't coach, is the last time Wilson won less than five games. So every single year, or I should say, was less than 500, because I know there's been years where Wilson's played more than 10 outside of the playoffs, you know, because playoffs didn't start until... The early mid '80s and state playoffs didn't start to the late '80s, but leading up to that, regular season sometimes would go 11, 11 games. Right. Uh, but Wilson has been 500 or higher in the winning percentage every season since John Gursky became head coach. Yeah, which 52 is, years ago is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's an amazing record, and uh, you know. Again, they talk about that to some degree. Um, you know, the players don't don't want to be the ones that um, have that streak come to an end. I think the last time that we were really close would have been my senior year. <laughs> um, um, 
Yeah, you're probably right. 2001, that was my junior year. Uh, we went six and four. We had to beat Mifflin in the rivalry game the last week of the season to guarantee the continuation of another streak, which we're just about to talk about, which is consecutive winning seasons, meaning Wilson's had higher than a 500 winning percentage. Usually at least six wins will do that for 40 straight seasons. So the last time that Wilson won only five games or went 500 was 1975. So every season since then, Wilson's won six or more games since 1976 through 2015. And, of course, this team in 2016 would like to make that 41 consecutive winning seasons. Yeah, and looking at what you would, you know, the things that you had just pulled up. So in 75, they lost five games. Then you have to go one, two, three, four, five. Over the next six years, they only lost two games. Or, no, sorry, over the next six, they lost seven games. So they lost five in 1975, and then they only lost seven uh, you know, through, through 81. Through 81. Well, yeah. 78, 79, 80, 81 are four of the best teams that Wilson's ever had. Uh, some think that the 81 squad uh, may have been Gursky's best team um, in his uh, penultimate season as head coach. And uh, coincidentally, a few of the coaches on the staff now, I believe, played on that team. Or I think actually Coach Covell was a senior on the 1980 squad that went 11 and one and coach Wolber was a senior on the 1981 squad that went 11 and zero. and I got this really cool book. Um, actually it's sitting right here. I can pull it up here for everyone to see. Um, it's called Pennsylvania football news resource guide. They didn't bring it out last year, but they produced it pretty much every year. It's like 400 pages of Pennsylvania high school information and one of the cool aspects of it was i think something they called i think it was the sailor rankings or ratings um but what it was was a a gentleman compiled a spreadsheet or whatever they used before excel to keep track of all that information because it talks about him going to the library and using microfilm to get high school football game scores for across the entire state of pennsylvania and his sailor rankings dated back to like the 19 1900s like early 1900s like 19 teens i think um up until piaa instituted state playoffs and which i think was the 88 season was the first year there was a state championship these sailor rankings ranked the best teams in the state based on the team's wins and their strength of schedule so he computed all these i can't believe how he would have done this without the help of computers, but obviously he did. And Wilson's mentioned in these sailor rankings a few times, but I think the highest ranking they ever got in his uh, computations was in 1981, where they were, the team was 11-0. Wilson was third in his rankings for the state. Um, I would have loved to have seen some of those teams decided on the field. Those That's 78 through 81 um, was quite the four-year run for uh, John Gursky's Bulldogs. Um, one that really, honestly, record-wise, hasn't been matched until most of Coach Doms's run here. Um, who he took over in 2006. Only one season has a Coach Doms-led Wilson team lost more than two games. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And obviously, unless you win the state championship and go undefeated through the regular season, you 
will never have an undefeated team. Yeah. So, I mean, we see state champions that are not undefeated. 15-1 was a common occurrence right. um, when now, the season was 16 games. Now we're down to 15. Now total. it's, especially with some of the bigger schools, um, it's even more, I think it'll be even less common uh, just because some of those schools, like, for example, Pine Richland today, you know, who's, you know, arguably, you know, a contender every year, they went and played, you know, one of the top um, private schools from, Ohio today and defend you know, two time defending right, state champions. St. Joe's Prep and LaSalle and all those all those big time schools that are perennial contenders as well. They you know St. Joe's Prep will like fly to Florida and play game you know like so Do they played I teams, believe Don Bosco right from a Jersey. lot of those teams are going to rack up losses make the playoffs and then make well, their run. I think one of the biggest um, examples of that is oh now I'm not going to remember the name the team I think up uh, Erie McDowell. Oh yeah, they, they'll come into the playoffs at like six and four, right? But those but, four losses are right. usually the state title teams from various right. Other they play states. they play all the big teams from in Cleveland Ohio. because yeah. it's as far, if not a little closer, to some of those schools than it is to go down to Pittsburgh and play some of the big schools down there. So you know, um, and they're going to end up playing those Pittsburgh schools generally in the playoffs. So right. well, they'd they have to get. Go they have to get past state college. That's who, right. And they haven't right. been able to do that now in the last few years. But if they do, they do end up playing in the state semifinals against the Whoopi Old District 7 champ. Uh, and I don't believe they've ever un- uh, been able to tackle any of those and make it to the state title game. Now, back to the Wilson streaks. The, the final two don't have a, as big a number, but they're as equally as impressive uh, yes. just because of what they've been able to do. Now, obviously, we mentioned that Wilson's up to uh, 57 straight Section 1 wins uh, dating back to November 2nd, 2007. Wilson hasn't lost a game to a league rival since October 26, 2007 at Mannheim Township. Well, because of their consecutive game winning streak, obviously, they've won a lot of titles. And they've won the Lancaster 11 League Section 1 every single year since 2008. So eight straight titles for them, it's just incredible. It's obviously, it's a league record. Uh, and it's just, it's incredible to see that when you looked at Wilson's past seasons, to just see those rattle off in a row. And in that time, they've also won three district championships and appeared in another game as well in 2011. Matching that number eight streak is consecutive seasons with 10 or more wins. Now there are teams around the state that are just thankful to play 10 games Throughout the entire season, yeah. Wilson has won 10 or more games every year since 2008. And they only missed that mark by one in 2007. They went nine and four. And the previous year, they went 11 and two. So, I mean, if you stretch this to nine or more wins, you know, you're up to 10 straight seasons. Uh, so, market consistency and incredible accomplishments from Coach Doms, his staff, and the players that have gone through the program uh, closing in on a decade now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, um, and a pretty su- successful tenure for so far for Coach Doms. When you know originally this was kind of a uh, just kind of fill in, fill in role. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it turned out pretty good. It, it definitely did. So those are the streaks that Wilson is currently uh, maintaining and hopefully hopefully continuing in the 2016 season. Now we're going to break down the schedule here, and. We have two scrimmages that are already in the books. August 20th, Wilson was at Parkland. And just recently, 
they were at Daniel Boone in a try scrimmage between the Blazers and Burke's Catholic. Now we're going to uh, quickly go through the scrimmages here, just show some highlights from those events, talk briefly about it before we move to the regular season. So first up, the, the Bulldogs played at Parkland. You know, I, I, I don't like to dwell on scrimmages that much because it's really just for coach evaluations. It doesn't tell you much about what's going to happen during the season. I'm sure some people will read that, oh, they must have looked bad. No, that's not true. Right. I just you can't put that much stock into scrimmages. You just can't. Good or bad. Like if a team looks great, it's just like the NFL preseason. You know, the Eagles went four and I believe last year. Yeah, people were freaking <laughs> sorry, but people were freaking out, like, oh, the Eagles are gonna be so good. And I'm like, and you were too, because you don't ever get like that. I mean, come on, you're a pessimist like me. I, I know. I know. Like them going four and meant nothing. Right. And and like you said, the way scrimmages are set up, the coaches are looking for specific things from specific players. Um, you know, there are some general takeaways that you can that you can get, but a lot of times they're just looking to do you know specific things and and work on formations or certain plays. And well, there are players that don't play, and right. in the case against Parkland, Alex Twyford played one single play. That was it. And you're rotating in guys that. You know, during the regular season game, you're not going to do. You're just seeing how they perform against another team's uh, ones or in-game situations. You have guys maybe trying out new positions. You're just trying to get a feel for the team. And and the biggest thing, especially in Wilson's stance, is they're not prepping for Parkland. They're right. not watching film on Parkland's offense and I'll defense. I'll tell you what, they would love to have a chance to play Parkland. <laughs> In the season, because that would mean it would be the last game of the season. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, but Parkland yeah. is the defending Eastern PA champion. They were the state title game last year. Right. Runners up, they fell to Pittsburgh Central Catholic. I think they only lost by a touchdown. Yeah. And it, it's one of those where it's a it's a great scrimmage for, for Wilson because you get a, a big school, you know, so they have a lot of players they're trying to get some looks on it too. Um you don't have to worry too much about, you know, certain matchups and things like that because you're not, you know, the chances of seeing them again are, are, are slim for both teams. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, you know, I think Parkland a lot of times is trying to get a lot of the same things out of the scrimmage. That's probably a better way to put it there. Um, you know, Parkland has a new coach this year. So yes, you know, how, how that's handled, you know, I don't know, but kind of, you know, get his, I'm sure he's not new. But he's new in that role for Parkland. So um, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's a good experience for, for both teams. And uh, both teams hopefully can take away some positives and, um, you know, not rack up too many negatives, you know, in terms of injuries and other things in, in the scrimmage. Right. And we talked to the coaches after the Parkland scrimmage, and they said basically exactly what we said. You know, was it perfect? Of course not. Was it terrible? No. Are the, th- are the things to work on? Absolutely. But the staff and the players are going to tell you that after every game, whether it's a 50-point win or a close loss. You know, it doesn't matter. There's always something you can get better at, and that's what the coaching staff and players uh, told us after the, the Parkland game. So we saw some offense. We saw a little bit of defense here. Um, the other scrimmage actually just happened uh, last evening, and you were were there. Yeah. Um, so while I, I'm going to pull up the video from that scrimmage, okay. why don't you just give your thoughts on what you saw um, in the tri scrimmage with Dana Boone Blazers and uh, Burke's Catholic? Um, you know, it, it was an interesting 
kind of format. It took a little bit until everyone was kind of able to figure out without seeing the script of how things were going to go. Um, because tri scrimmage is, you know, not the, not the most common. Um, but as, as we kind of look through, um, you know, so they rotated through, they did the 10 plays offense, 10 plays defense, you know, a whole bunch. Um, and then, um, you know, we had, we had some, some, uh, things set up in, in those 10 plays of offense, 10 plays of defense, uh, the team looked pretty good. Um, you know, I just overall, you know, without getting into too many specifics, again, they're not, they're not showing a whole lot because oh. yeah, th- yeah, this was a mistake on the camera. The camera oh, was in cool. the wrong mode. Um, but then Carl's I, ice lens. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. 30 time extended zoom. Oh, that's impressive. For those of you listening on the podcast, we're watching a play as they're cycling through the Sony camcorder options. So that's very entertaining. Now, we now should, we're back we should to the be game. Back. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the, like I said, the defense, you know, lo- looked pretty good. Um, they had some things, uh, you know, they're, they're not showing a whole lot. Um, right, but, it's very vanilla schemes. You know, your your base four four alignment defense. They're probably not blitzing, is, blitzing and, very and little. This is actually still uh, JV. This was oh, or, is this part or, of the JV or some of the younger guys? I should say okay. it's not all JV, but uh, this was still early on. You know, still just kind of like they were working through some sure. getting lots of player snaps because, as you notice, uh, Burke's Catholic, who has a good sized team, and and Boone, which you know fluctuates in the numbers a little bit I are think, on one side and Wilson was on the other side in terms of sideline because Wilson probably has as many as those two teams combined. combined. Yeah. Um, well, and that that's not a statement on their programs, more on the size of the schools. And, and right. Right. Like that. Do you, is Boone five, Here we a? Go. is Boone five, um, I, I believe they might, they might be a big four, but I think Burks Catholic is definitely a four. Um, now, th- now we're in the varsity, and oh. this is yeah. To start, there were a few uh, false starts. No, was that not, on Burke's were, Catholic? Yes, it was. Okay, there so were, that's either a f- testament towards the quarterback, well, or undisciplined play. It from might the happen again. Um, if it doesn't happen here, yeah, 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 it happened a few times this first this first drive. So I believe we're seeing Tommy O'Brien with the carry yeah. So there. Tommy O'Brien was was in there, and um, you know they they were able to um, you know kind of go down. They'll they'll get a couple scores throughout the ten plays. Um, and then basically you went from offense to defense to off. Um, so you kind of rotated through and then they mixed it up so that you weren't like the next time Wilson played offense, they went against Boone. Yeah. Yeah. So snap, the count was good. snap count must be very strong. Uh, I think this it's was, tough to tell. They don't have their right jerseys on. I right. think that may have been Connor. Your it quarterback. is. It is. Yeah. Um, and then, um, y- you know, the, there were a number of, a number of, uh, you know, positives to take from the scrimmage yesterday and a number of things that they, they can work on. Uh, one of the things that, that I was talking about, um, Burke's Catholic doesn't run the same offense that Mifflin runs, but similar, a similar in terms of the misdirection and trying to, you know, figure out who has the ball before you can actually go make the play. Um, which leading into the week leading up to Mifflin, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing to definitely to get not. The scrimmage. And I'll tell you what, Burke's Catholic, they're good. If you notice, they, yeah, they now they're again. offsides. Yeah. Um, Burke's Catholic is really good at it. Um, you, you will probably see it we'll later. We'll see yeah, if we get Cooper, to the Cooper Lutz, Cooper Lutz knows what he's doing, um, taking after his brother there a little bit. Um, yeah, Isaac is so, now a player up at Penn State. Yeah, so. And uh, one of the preferred walk-ons right, so is actually listed on the depth chart. Our first our first touchdown. Um, is that to Jalo? 
Who was that I, too? I couldn't I couldn't see the number. I don't I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see the number. They don't always wear the right numbers anyways. But you did you did mention that Wilson in you know the ten and ten, the non game situation looked very, very strong. Um I think between the ten plays they got against each squad, a total of seven touchdowns and twenty plays, not too bad. Of course, right. field positions, you know, pretty steady and consistent. You're right. not having to go drive full length of the field. Right. Um, at Wilson defense, I believe in the two sessions against the BC offense and the Boone offense only gave it what two touchdowns? I think one. One touchdown. One. Now, so I mean that looking being good. Said, one of the one of the I, BC like their tenth play ended inside the one. Like right. You know, and you said there was, was also a turnover inside the five. Right. As well. So like there was some where, you know, in a game situation your defense is in trouble. Um, but you know, in the ten plays the the teams were getting out of it what they what they wanted. So Either undisciplined play from the Saints D or incredible snap counts from both Grayson Klein and yeah. Connor Yurig. There's one that ended at the one. That might have been the last play. Okay. Not yeah. for us. I'm not. Oh, nope. Nope. They still, still got one to go. Yeah. So, you know, just like we said against Parkland, some good, some bad. When it went to game situation, Wilson was not as strong as they were in the 10 by 10. No. Um, it, Twyford didn't play at all, was no. not even in game close. Same thing with senior Nick Stapone, who contributes at wide receiver and outside linebacker. We know that there's a rotation along both offensive and defensive line, and obviously at quarterback and running back. So Wilson's still trying to find their place. Again, they're not scouting the Saints or the Blazers. They're not prepping for what they're going to throw at them. Yeah, they but, won't face either of these teams again. Right. They it's, they don't play them in the regular season, and they're not in the same classification. You know, Wilson's 6A. We think Boone is 5A um, and Burst Catholic's 4A. Boone, Boone's no smaller than 4A. So um, Wilson doesn't often play too many teams in Burks County unless it's uh, the rivalry game with Mifflin. So this is a nice look and the ability to see some of what other football in Burks County will look like this year. Um, the Saints, you thought, will look like a very strong team. Yeah, and I think one that will challenge uh, for a district title in that division, especially. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect them. I shouldn't say I don't expect them to have much trouble, but like, you know, uh, they Coach, look strong. Coach Keeley has the plan figured it's out. It's a well-oiled machine, and and they've got it working for them. Yeah, certainly. So I think that will end this. It, was, end. This was second string, um, or again, some of the other guys getting some reps here. Well, that's a nice throw end. by Grayson yeah. Klein to. I don't know. If yeah, that's not right and again, number. not to. <laughs> Not to say both quarterbacks worked with first team and second string, um, or first team and second team. Um, you know, and that happened at a lot of positions. Like we said, this isn't a statement as to those depth charts that we talked about earlier. This is more of a statement about the coaches trying to see specific things. You know, sometimes you might get in there and be like, oh man, you know, that quarterback, yeah, you know, he must not be able to pass because they didn't call any pass plays. Well, maybe they want to see him, his exchanges because he was having right. trouble that week. You, you never know. So, um, Coaches are looking for specific things, and um, hopefully they they got to see some of that. And you know, like I said, there were plenty of positives uh, to build off of. But um, I am sure that the coaching staff has um, plenty of things to oh, sure. to emphasize uh, as they prepare for this week. Uh, and excuse me, the big Mifflin game coming up. Right. So let's talk about some of the other games that Wilson's going to be playing this year, you know, 10 regular season games guaranteed. We talked about the two scrimmages. Uh, Wilson will have five games in September or four in October, and then one in November. The first three are non-league games, followed by seven straight against Lancaster Lebanon League Section 1 opponents. And the first one is against 
Governor Mifflin, which moved from the last game of the season to the first game of the year when Mifflin left the Lancaster led in the league in the early 2000s. Uh, Wilson has played Mifflin or Shillington almost every year over the last 70 seasons. And, uh, you know, it's it's a neighborhood rivalry. We, the districts line up against one each other. We're very familiar with one another. Uh, there are many, many stories that can be told by Wilson and Mifflin alumni, uh, both players and community members. Uh, and I believe the 2016 meeting between Wilson and Governor Mifflin will be the 67th all-time. Now, Wilson currently leads the series 39-27. to That includes um, matchups when they were also known as Shillington. More importantly, at least in Bulldogs fans' eyes, is what's happened over the last 36 meetings where Wilson's come out on top 28 times. So Wilson's 28-8 and against the Mustangs in the last 36 games. They've also won five straight in the series, and coincidentally, that date back to the 2012 season, which was the debut of the Gursky Lynn Trophy. So every time Wilson Mifflin has played since 2012, which actually happened twice that season, Wilson has come out on top. So Mifflin has never taken home the Gursky Lynn Trophy, of course, named after legendary coaches John Gursky and Ray Lynn from Wilson and Mifflin, respectively. So that happens on Friday, September 2nd, just a few days after this show is released online. Um, last year, Wilson went to Governor Mifflin on September 4th and defeated the Mustangs 14-3. to And I mentioned it, it's been five years since Mifflin has won in this series, and their last win was at Mifflin uh, on September 2nd, 2011, in overtime against the Bulldogs, 34-28. to That was uh, one of the first games that I really started doing the social media and pictures and stuff. And I remember seeing Mifflin run all over us and build, I think, like a 28 to 7 lead either at halftime or early in the third quarter. Wilson stormed back and scored, I believe, three straight touchdowns to force overtime. And then Mifflin got their swagger back and I think on their first offensive series uh, sealed the deal and made it a 34 to 28 Mifflin win. Wilson would then go on to win every game that they played the rest of the season until the district final against Central Dolphin, who I think might be coming up when we talk in just a, in yeah. just a few games. Yeah. So, you know, you have anything to say about the Wilson Mifflin rivalry? You know, the analogy in Berks County gets thrown around of the Daytona 500, where in terms of Berks County football, it's to many people, it's the biggest game. You know, there are other big games of late, you know, the why missing Berks Catholic is, is a big game. Um, you know, of even more recent, you know, the Exeter Mifflin games are, have been pretty big, but you know, this is, this is the, the big one in terms of the size of the schools and everything. This is the matchup. Um, so it'll be an, another one, you know, this is one where you don't have to say, throw the records out because neither team has played. So, right. <laughs> but you, yeah, you know, you're going to get the other team's best. You know, all of that stuff is coming, um, you know, and you just, if you don't have your A game, you could be in for a long night. And that goes for both teams. So, right. um, and that can be tough on the first week of the season. That's right. not actually right. Okay. That's not what I was trying to pull up. I'm trying to find um, the link to the preview that I wanted to reference. And now, of course, I can't, I can't find it. Right. Of course. Um, so, uh, Wilson Mifflin, always a big game. Um, the, the, maybe the biggest thing entering this game off the field is that 
Coach Vecchio is not leading the yeah. team this season, and it's not you know because of lack of accomplishments or anything really football related, but it was health related. Right. Uh, he had some issues uh, in the off season through the spring and into the summer. Um, he's still coaching for the team. Um, just took a step back to not be in the day to day and have the gamut of being um, the coach. And I believe um, Coach Lang is stepping in. Yeah. He's been the offensive line coach for like I think 20, since, 25 years. I think 25 Probably years since Vecchio came took on over. Staff. Yeah, so, so I don't expect them to really miss a beat in that regards. Not again, not taking anything away from Coach Vecchio, but rather, you know, it's a guy who's been in the system forever as well. Um, and that's a testament to the system that Coach Vecchio has helped to, to put in place there. So um, Mifflin went six and five last year, and it was the first time in a few years they didn't win the Berks Football League Section One. Uh, that went to Exeter last season, and Mifflin sees a lot of turnover again. Obviously, there's going to be some some players back that were underclassmen last year, but they're replacing um, the backfield, the quarterback, some linemen. Um, the uh, the Garner twins were were big um, contributors for them last year, and they're both gone now. Uh, but the biggest thing that haunted Mifflin were turnovers and the inability to have any kind of passing offense. Now, obviously, we reference that they are a run-first team. But according to the Reading Eagle article by Mike Drago, um, 80 some, 81% of their yards came on the ground, and they only had four passing touchdowns all season in 11 games. Yeah, so that, that just can't happen. Even though they run the midline quite well, with that, the incredibly athletic quarterback and you know the fullback, running back, uh, the the slot players, they they do an incredible job. But you have to have you have to make teams respect your passing game. It just didn't happen last year for Mifflin. Yeah, and um, you know they're kind of in a similar situation. There's there's two guys vying for the quarterback job um, that may or may not be settled going into the week one matchup. So. You know, you might get a look from a couple different guys. So uh, we'll have to kind of see how it plays out. But, um, you know, both teams, you know, trying to build off of some some positive momentum in, in the offseason and also uh, try and start to settle some things um, that didn't work themselves out over the summer. Right. All right. So week one, Governor Mifflin at Gursky on Friday, September 2nd to kick off the 2016 Season moving right along in the non-league slate, Wilson will stay at home at Gursky in Week Two. On Friday, September 9th, they'll welcome in the Springford Rams, who for the last number of years have been the second scrimmage opponent and have ties to the Wilson program with the head coach, Coach Brubaker, who was an assistant at Wilson for over a decade and became the offensive coordinator in the early years of Doug Dom's team. Prior to that, under Jim Contapio, he was a wide receiver coach. And he went to Springford, I believe, starting with, was it the 2010 season? It, it was, I, I believe it was around 2010. And Springford was coming off a couple of tough seasons. And he's really turned that program around. Uh, he's instituted a, a passing-heavy offense and has done some wonders winning at least one, if not two district championships, multiple uh, division or section titles. He, and he turned a team that was winning just, you know, two, three games a year to now a team that's winning eight, nine, 10 or more. And uh, one of the better teams um, 
you know, southeast of us. Yeah, in, in a loaded district. You know, um, one of the things, uh, Springford actually played a week zero game. Um, right. So uh, when they face Wilson, it will be their uh, third game and Wilson's second game. So, um, you know, a little bit of a, of a difference there. Um, you know, that goes to some of the things we talked about in the previous episode with the change in classifications, um, and kind of needing to make schedules work this year. Um, Springford is in a different district in district one and in district one, they're, um, they're keeping the 16 team playoff, right? Because of the large number of quad A, well, what were quad A schools, but now, um, you know, six A school. So because of that, um, they need that extra week. So they bumped everything ahead a week. So the, Springford had one scrimmage started play, uh, in what is unofficially like zero week. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't like people that are calling that week one. <laughs> that, yeah. that just bothers me. So you were not a fan of the NCAA tournament. Oh, no, Round no, one no. being the no, no, no. games. <laughs> that is not the way that works. So you're not a fan of calling. Well, I guess it isn't exactly the same, but you mean when the NFL kicks off on that Thursday night, it won't be week five. Is that, is that? No. <laughs> okay? No, it will not be. <laughs> we're not, we're not going with that. That's not, that's not how I see it. I just, right. I don't like that. It was week zero. I saw arguments from sports writers on Twitter about that of, um, you know, what do we call it? And people were saying it's week zero and someone was like zero means nothing. It's not a number. And then they, someone was calling it like week quarter, like week one fourth or something. I was just like, come on, it is yeah. week zero. Move on. Cause this, this really great Twitter account at end 2008 is doing, um, Jersey mock-ups for like every game. I don't know if he's doing the entire state of Pennsylvania or just the, the South central area. And he's done Wilson home and away, did the schedule and everything. But I see him tweeting like week one, and then I'm like, "Are you going to do Wilson Mifflin week one?" And he's like, "That's week two. I'm like, "No, it's not week two. That's week one. <laughs> that is week one. It's just this is all the PIAA's fault with the change to the sick classifications. People scrambled to fill in games, and you know, it's. I think it was it might have been Coach Dom's or someone, one of the coaches that was interviewed recently by um, one of the media groups, saying. Either everyone should have to play week zero or no one should play week zero. Make right. everything consistent. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it kind of plays out as the scheduling with the new classifications plays out. This year, it leads to some um, differences based on the districts and based on, you know, wh what you were able to schedule as a school. Right. So. But again, another tough game. Not necessarily an unfamiliar opponent um, because they have. You know, some of the ties there in terms of, of coaching and also um, in terms of the, they've been scrimmage, uh, you know, opponents for a, a number of years. That being said, they haven't played many regular season games of late. And so um, it, it could be uh, an interesting matchup because it'll be a big game for both teams. This was the game that Wilson was trying to change because of what you mentioned, this being Springford's third game and Wilson's second game. Not to be Wilson will host Springford this year and travel to Springford next year. This is the first ever meeting between the two schools. However, Wilson did previously play the teams that now make up Springford, which was Spring City and Royersford. Those two schools merged in 1955. Uh, all time, Wilson was only two nine and one against them. But again, this is in the first ten years of the Wilson program when they were still trying to, um, you know, build up to what they'd become in the uh, the late 60s. 
so Wilson played Spring City eight times and Royersford four times. So week two, Friday, September 9th, Wilson hosts Springford. Then in the final week of non-league action, Wilson travels to the Central Dolphin Rams, one of my favorite teams yeah. that Wilson gets to face. Uh, the, I have a long history with them. I mean, it just goes back to my senior season when we lost to them in the district championship game, but then seeing them also kind of pull the exact same thing in 2011 in the district championship game. And then I was, I mean, I was super psyched when it was announced that Wilson and Central Dolphin would be meeting in the regular season, just because Central Dolphin is just a great program, just right. like Wilson. You know, the same thing goes for Cumberland Valley, who right. is one of their huge rivalries uh, in the mid-pen. But Central Dolphin is just a great program. Um, Wilson's played them. Um, seven times prior, so this is the eighth meeting between the squads. Central Dolphin leads the series three to four with their victory last year over Wilson on September eighteenth. That one point win, twenty to nineteen, that gave CD the lead in the all time matchups. Wilson last won over the Rams back to back weeks versus Ram teams, Springford Rams, Central Dolphin Rams. Um, Wilson last beat Central Dolphin twenty one to ten on November twenty ninth, twenty fourteen. At Hershey, that was a district championship game. The biggest thing for Central Dolphin is they have their quarterback back, senior A.J. Millar. They did lose running back Rally Serb, but they always have a strong running game. They'll have big linemen. I think inexperienced, though, at wide receiver and defensive back. Defensively, that's probably not a huge deal because that was their weakness last year was pass defense. But they have an incredible front seven, big, strong defensive line, yeah. very talented linebackers. And, of course, they have junior Mika Parsons, who's a top five player in the nation in the class of 2018 yeah. college recruiting cycle. He's already committed to Penn State, and supposedly he's going to be playing some receiver this year. Yeah, he, he, there was some video of him at the Penn State camp this summer doing that. And then, um, you know, I've read some that he got some reps there in the summer anyway. Um you know, when you can put a guy out there with that size um, and his athletic ability, um, you know, it creates some interesting matchups. Let's just, yeah, let's for just sure. put it that way. Um, but, yeah, so I don't really know, um, you know, how, how that will play out in terms of, you know, how much time he's going to see out there in the regular season. You, you talk Central Dolphin. It's not that they can't pass the ball. They, they like to run, um, a lot, but you know, again, um, they're, they're a school where they'll, they'll have enough talent, um, to be able to kind of make it work, whatever they decide to do. Um, and again, you talk about, you know, you have Mifflin week one, big rivalry game you know you're going to get their best shot. Then you go to Springford. It's going to have the extra game under their belt. Again, another good program. And They're, former Wilson coaches want to be right, Wilson. Right, Oh, my gosh. You, you can bet on that. And then the third week you have Central Dolphin, which is not necessarily in terms of the numbers, you know, like Mifflin a rivalry, and it's not by location a rivalry, but certainly in terms of excellent programs going up against each other. Usually when these teams play, it is for high stakes. Now yeah. – not to say that the regular season isn't high stakes, but there's a lot of pride on the You're line for these teams. Jockeying for position and whatnot, but, but losing in September is better than losing in November. Right, and and these both these teams know that, and both these teams um, have shown by this series they they want to play top level competition in their non league to hopefully make themselves better for those November games, and and that's what this is. Um, 
you know, I'm, I, I am glad to see Wilson kind of schedule some of these challenging games in the non-league because that's where you get to kind of figure out what kind of team you are and, and hopefully learn a lot. Um, hopefully learn a lot through success, but even if you have some setbacks to, um, hopefully they're not too big and you can learn a lot and make yourself better so that you are playing, uh, some meaningful games come the end of October and into November and maybe December. <laughs> so week four sees the start of Lancaster Lebanon league section one play. And we mentioned Wilson will be trying to extend their record winning streak of 57 consecutive section victories when they travel in the first week of league play, week four overall, Friday, September 23rd, they'll go to Warwick, which is an interesting one just because the past at least four years, Warwick's been the final game of the regular season, and Wilson always usually has very little, if anything, to play for, and Warwick has nothing to play for because they haven't made the playoffs in a long time. Wilson's been locking up one or two seeds in those seasons and trying to clinch another undefeated run through the league. But Warwick's kind of been a thorn in their in Wilson's side, especially when it's at Warwick. In 2012 and 2014, Wilson looked awful in the first half, and it took second half locker room adjustments and a second a big second half to win both of those games. Now Wilson was miles above where Warwick was both of those seasons. So to see them struggle you know, it's not uncommon because it's on the road the last game of the season. It really means nothing for Wilson. Uh, you know, if they would have lost, it would have been huge. But right. they were still making the playoffs. Now you get Warwick at Warwick in the first game of the the regular season, the first league game of the regular season um, on Friday, September 23rd. Warwick and Wilson have met 22 times before Wilson leads the series 19-3. to uh, Wilson won last year at Wilson 41 to seven in the last game of the season. And the previous, the last time Warwick was able to beat the Bulldogs was actually at Gursky stadium on September 21st, 2007, 14 to 12. Again, that was that season that also saw Wilson finishing seven and three, seven and three, but then making the district three semifinals before falling to Harrisburg in overtime. Uh, Wilson's had, two league losses that season to Warwick and Mannheim Township. And that Mannheim Township loss was the last time Wilson has lost a Section 1 game. So Warwick, the first league game, they're a 6A squad, so good for the power ratings. Last year they were 2-8 and eight and only managed to win one section game. Uh, they have a, a, a good stable of players back. They've kind of been building for the last two years, and this is... Also, the year due, for due them. Due to some other circumstances, we're able to get some young guys, yes. some experience the last last year specifically. So, you know, that could be a negative at the time. That could turn into um, something that helped them build for the future this year and, and beyond. Um, you know, we don't know exactly how that'll kind of play out, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, how some of those guys who have now gotten some experience, how can, how can they fill in these roles now? Warwick will trot out uh, Tyler Borg, Evan Clark, Ryan Diebler, um, Carter Forney, Taylor Lentz, and T Tyler Tremarchi, um, and Isaac Rissinger, who are all multi-year starters for the Warriors. Um, they have nine players back on defense. They have a lot of size up front. A lot of people think this is a year that Warwick could turn some heads. You know, we mentioned they were only 2-8 and eight last year, 1-6 in the league. A lot of people think that 
behind the top three teams, Warwick could be jostling for a fourth or fifth place finish instead of a sixth or seventh place finish. So maybe not a huge jump. Will they be able to compete with Wilson, Hemfield, and Manheim Township? It's a possibility with the talent, experience, and size they have coming back. Um, But that's Wilson's first foe of the 2016 league slate. Kind of interesting. Their three non-league games are three um, Lancaster, Lebanon, other teams from right. other sections. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. All right, so Wilson will then return home in week five and the second week of league play and host the Lancaster-McCaskey Red Tornado on Friday, September 30th. They're also another 6A school. They posted back-to-back four and six seasons. They were three and four in Lancaster-Lebanon League Section 1 last year. Uh, they do have a new coach. Um, filling in for Rob Manzan. And he actually, I believe, gave up. He was, I think he was either superintendent or principal at another school district to wow. go to McCaskey and be their coach. Um, hey, I mean, it, they've, they've had some struggles. Um, I feel like, um, the previous coach started to, to lay a foundation. Um, but you know, They've had a couple guys come in where you feel like they've laid the foundation. Can they take that next step? It, it'll be interesting to see. Um, when we were in school, McCaskey was was no joke. They were they were really good. They were. They were. Some D one recruits all over the place. You know. Um, yeah, they were actually. I believe. No, that's not true. That was Cedar Crest. I was going to say they were the only team that I hadn't beaten until my senior year, but that was Cedar Crest. We beat McCaskey my sophomore year, lost to him yeah. junior year. But yeah, it, it just an interesting, you know, an interesting situation. Um, you know, so again, a lot of times you don't know what you're going to get, uh, when you go there. I think last year when we went, um, you know, the team didn't necessarily play their best. There were some injuries that they were coping right. with. You mentioned earlier, Tommy Fox was questionable. Jake in. Gaiman didn't play. Right. Bailey McElroy got injured. Uh, Wilson pulled away from them. A great game from Alex Twyford. Um, the biggest thing is McCaskey's changing to a pistol set. Uh, offense under new coach Spencer and their best player probably was their quarterback. And he returns for right. the season um, in uh, Jason Gonzalez. Uh, it, McCaskey usually doesn't have trouble putting points on the board. Usually defensively is where they're deficient. Right. So if they're able to change that and stop some people, they can make some noise. Now we should know where they're at after their non-league schedule, especially their first game, they play State College. Now, yeah. they're hosting State College, but State College is actually kind of a under-the-radar pick to possibly challenge for a state title this season. Yeah, people expect big things out of them. So that's going to be a big test for any team, um, you know, especially McCaskey, in, in Week 1. But like you said, it'll get, kind of give um, them an idea of where they stand, and then they, they kind of do one of those, uh, you know, big cities of District 3 roundabouts and play York and Reading uh, to finish out their non-league schedule. This will be the 44th all-time meeting between McCaskey and Wilson, and the Bulldogs lead the series 35-7-1. Their last meeting and Wilson win was last season when the Bulldogs came out on top 38-7 to at McCaskey on September 25th. And the last McCaskey win was 13 years ago at McCaskey on September 26, 2003, and that was the final season of Chad Henney under quarterback or at quarterback for the Bulldogs. McCaskey took it to Henney and his Wilson teammates 31 to 14. Now week six of the 2016 season sees the Bulldogs traveling to Penn Manor on October 7th. 
This is the 26th meeting between the teams, and one for the record books here. Wilson leads the series 25 to nothing. The Comets have never beaten the Bulldogs. Which is kind of crazy. It is crazy to think about that they're undefeated against them, and not just with five games, with 25 previous meetings. And I know it's it's been different the last couple years, but there was that stretch there. In Penn Manor was their top challenger for Penn Manor was a four years maybe a really good back to back years with Charlie Bell. Right, Todd Mealy had built that team into a a contender. They they really were. Yeah. Um, you know, Wilson was kind of the, the nemesis on that schedule that kind of mm-hmm. did them in, but it wasn't because they weren't a worthy of opponent. They no, they were they very very them to good the limit a number well, of times in that in that twenty thirteen season we referenced the regular season matchup with the between the two squads in week eight or week nine was a one touchdown victory so for that's the like Bulldogs. Game we were talking about the other day where Dominic Negrelli got a, no, that was twenty twelve. That, that was the year okay. before. This one was at Wilson. Oh, and I, I, that, yep. that basically clinched the league title for the Bulldogs in twenty thirteen. Then I believe like three or four weeks later in the second round of the playoffs, yeah. we met again and Wilson that time came out on top, I think, I think, I think like twenty nothing, nothing or twenty eight yeah. nothing. Uh just goes to show you usually in rematches I always take the Bulldogs in rematches. Right. Always happens. I just the coaching staff and the players just seem to react to adversity. That's why last year I was hoping to see Central Dolphin again, uh, but it wasn't meant to be. Uh, last year the Bulldogs came out on top at home at Gursky on October 30th, 42 to 21. Now, uh, coach John Brubaker had a tough debut for the Comets last year going 0 and 10, uh, winless in the section as well. Uh, they do have some people back this year, um, primarily uh, Grant Gale and who is the running back? Theo McElhinney. Uh, maybe the one that I'm thinking of graduated oh. then. Um, but they'll be operating out of the pistol. Uh, they have 12 returners um, that saw exp- or excuse me, saw significant time on offense last year. So they essentially have the entire team back. Now, I know it doesn't boil down to that because they were seniors on that team. But guys that rotated in on that offense with a lot of experience uh, are returning on um, what was a young team last season, is ready to go this year. Same thing on defense, uh, according to uh, according to Jeff Reiner at Penn Live. Coach Brubaker's 4-4 defense has 15 guys that saw the field last year returning this season. So if they're able to put anything together, and much like McCaskey, their issue last year was stopping people. They well, had the was this uh, guy was he the yes, defensive coordinator of Manheim Central? Yes. So you would imagine that once he gets things in place, and it sounds like he'll have the experience to start to do that this year. Um, another year in this system, these guys should make big steps defensively and and that's going to be where it starts for Penn Manor if right. if they start heading in the right direction this year. Now, Wilson will take on a foe in week 7 that they have not seen in a long time in the Lebanon Cedars. They're a 5A squad replacing uh Cedar Crest, uh, coached by Jerry Yanchik. They were 2 and 8 last year but didn't win a single section 2 game. Uh, they have been running a, like a spread air raid type offense, but that's changing this season. I think they're also moving to, uh, was it a pistol attack? Yeah. Okay. They're also moving to more of a, a pistol offense. Um, the Cedars are uh, a decent amount of people re- re- returning, but with the change in schemes, you never know what to expect. They have six starters back on defense. Um, 
but they weren't very good on that side of the ball last year. So that may not be, uh, that might, may not be a great thing, but we've seen teams with, uh, young players getting experience and then exploding the next season. I mean, just look at, uh, the 2007 and 2008 Wilson team that struggled a little bit in 07 and then was dynamic in 2008, one of the best teams Wilson's ever fielded. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Wilson and Lebanon play, uh, for the first time since, uh, the 1999 season, uh, September 24th, 99, Wilson won in West Lawn 49 to 14. Um, was, oh, I forgot. That was, this is before we had come to the area. That was the stretch where for two years, Wilson went to section two. You, yes, you are correct right. about that. Uh, cause I was like, man, why were they on the schedule? That makes sense now. So, um, and I actually have some, clippings that some clippings that I wanted to show um, from those matchups. And uh, if you're watching the YouTube feed, um, this is from the Redding Eagle. Uh, the one that's up right now is the recap from the 99 game where Wilson won 49 to 14. And that featured the likes of Pete Gilmore and Brett Harbach. But the one what's referenced here is, what happened the year before the first year Wilson dropped to section two, they went to Lebanon over 18 years ago and the Cedars won Lebanon won it on September 25th, 1998, 20 to seven. And uh, they're kind of left scratching their heads. Uh, the oh, Bulldogs were yeah. Mike kitchen ran for 251 yards. Whew. Yeah. yeah. Somehow. I believe this was the first year that Contapia was head coach, 1998. Yeah, I again, a little before. A little before, before you us, moved yeah. here, yeah. So Wilson will be playing the Sears for the first time since 1999, and it will be the first time since they played at Lebanon since this um, loss, 20-7, to in 1998. All right, moving on to Week 8. Probably the first big showdown in the league will be against Mannheim Township. Now, this one's at Gursky on October 25th. It's the 45th all-time meeting between the teams, and Wilson holds the edge 34-9-1. and Wilson won the big showdown last year at Mannheim Township on October 23rd, 48-27. And we've mentioned now multiple times that the last time Township beat Wilson was October 26, 2007, which is a date that everyone knows because it's the last time Wilson lost a league game township has a transfer of their own in former fleetwood quarterback luke mg i was going to say tyler there his older brother but his he's luke mg he's a junior and a great player from fleetwood that now has moved to the manheim township district and head coach mark evans has said that he's the starter and he's a good one he's replacing a good one though in eric benjamin who graduated from the streaks but Township will be the first, most likely the first big test for Wilson in LL Section 1 play. Let's see if I can find. There we go. Last year they were 9-3 and lost only one game, and that was to Wilson. Uh, they have a couple good players returning, um, but their biggest loss were on the offensive and defensive line. Um but they lost a significant amount of players to graduation. The township was po- poised to unseat the Bulldogs. You thought it was going to happen in uh, 13, 14, or 15. It did not. Uh, with the with MG moving in, maybe we'll see them 
uh, compete with the Bulldogs, depending on how Wilson settles in by week eight of the season. But Township suffering probably the same amount of loss as Wilson had to graduation this season. It'll be interesting uh, after non-league, uh, two of the three opponents that Mannheim Township faces are the same as the opponents for Wilson. They face Central Dolphin week one and then Mifflin week three. Right. They flip that for the Wilson, um, different week two uh, opponents. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure s- stuff will be played on that um, kind of going into the week. But there'll be plenty of football to kind of look at going into that week eight matchup. Week 9 sees Wilson staying at Gursky on October 28th to host the Hempfield Black Knights, who will probably be the next team to take a shot at ending Wilson's uh, league victory streak. They almost did it last year, as we mentioned earlier in the like show. going to do it last year. Uh, Wilson is 23-10 and 10 all-time against the Black Knights. I believe if you Black go back Knights. and look at some of like the Twitter reaction. Yeah, there, that was a close one. a lot of people said, this is it, it's over. Yeah. And then they you know, they did. That, I think um, Jeff Reiner from Penn right, Live had right. said something, and then he was like, yeah, I should never doubt yeah, that. Yeah, oh yeah, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, so um, it's funny to look at now. Right, it wasn't so right. funny live because uh, everyone was thinking that. So the last meeting between the squads was a Wilson win 17-7 to on October 9th last year at Hempfield. The last Hempfield win was 11 years ago on October 21st, 05 at Hempfield. Um, the Black Knights put up 56 points on the Bulldogs as they came out ahead, 56-28. to now, Hempfield, much like Township, loses a lot from last year's squad that went 10-3 and and 5-2 and in Section 1. They actually went farther in the playoffs than both Wilson and Mannheim Township did. And they forced, I believe, overtime against Central Dolphin before yeah. they fell um, in the extra period. So Hempfield was a very, very good team last year, but losing Will Blair and Sam Kramer certainly hurts. Um, and they always have some big studly linemen They also have moved on, but Ron Zeber's team has been very, very strong and stingy against the Bulldogs Um, over the last few years. They've always been a thorn in their side, especially last season, Um, but they lost a lot to graduation. Ten full-time starters on both sides of the ball. So we expect them to to still challenge in the league, but... Um, they'll need some players to step up, much though like Wilson and Township need if they want to succeed. To be fair, they... Zebra has kind of put it in place where they're st- they've started to get the numbers back and they've started to get some of those things where that you need in order to have to not have the drop offs after graduations, you know, um, you know, and, and like we talked about with Warwick, you know, some of those guys at Hemfield were exposed a little earlier in their careers due to some other circumstances, got some playing time um, and that helped them build that program like Warwick is trying to do. But Hemfield, like you said, there's sure to be another, you know, big game, um, week nine, uh, the last regular season game at Gursky um, for the season. Yeah, senior night. All right, so the last guaranteed game for the Bulldogs this year is week 10, Friday, November 4th. They go on the road for the last time to Conestoga Valley to play the Buckskins, who are operating under a new head coach, Jared Novak, who was a former head coach for CV. Now, they have a ton returning on the defensive side of the ball. Nine of 11 starters return. It wasn't a great unit last year, but it was better than the year before when Wilson put up exactly. 60 points on him in 2014. Uh, Wilson won last season, I believe it was, 38-7 to on October 16th at Gursky. They'll travel to uh, Conestoga Valley on the final game of the season. Conestoga Valley last beat the Bulldogs way back on October 30th, 1976. Now, 
to be fair, Wilson stopped playing them, I believe, after the 1980 season when Conestoga Valley left Section 1 and didn't return until 2014. Uh, but it's been 40 years since Conestoga probably, Valley's last victory over the Bulldogs. Did they play in the, when Wilson went to Section 2, or were they the team that bumped I, I, up? You know what? I do believe that we played them in 98-99 as well, but CV did not win. Which would have been those two big meetings because that's where at the coach, coach time, Cotafio. Cotafio had coached previously. Correct. So um, CV is known for their offense over the last few years because um, entering his fourth season as starters, um, quarterback um, – is it Garrett? No, Grant Stoltzfus um, returns. Yeah, he has almost 5,000 career yards, um, and they run a spread attack. So Wilson's got to figure out what they're doing with their defensive secondary. Now it's week 10, so hopefully they have that settled by now. Um, but the Buckskins won't be a pushover. They should be able to light up the scoreboard. They have a lot of talent back on defense experience there. Uh, so CV, like Warwick, should be pushing closer to the top than at the bottom. Um, it, it's interesting to kind of just look at – the LLE because everyone assumes Wilson, Hemfield, and Township are the top three. But where do the other four slot? Well, Penn Manor's got a lot back, and it's a system from Mannheim Central that you think would propel them top soon. CV's got a lot of starters back. Warwick has a lot of starters back. McCaskey has a new coach. You know, if all those teams perform well in the non-league slate, you could have the worst team being four and six, where usually you see them zero and ten, one and nine, two right. and eight. Yeah, um, some of these teams look like they could be. It could be a strong year for LL Section and, One, and that's kind of been the the theme. If you look at some of the teams that have had some more struggles the last few years, um, it seems like they've got some people in there who may be able to add some stability to the programs, and and that's kind of the key. You you kind of mentioned earlier in the show, um, you know that. You know, the, some of the streaks and going back to the first year of Coach Gursky. Well, since then, there's only been four coaches. Right. You know, so you look at those streaks 50 some years, that covers four coaches. Some of these teams, four, four coaches, coaches in six years? Well, not on the schedule. I believe Hershey High School is in their fourth coach in their fourth year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredibly difficult to be successful with right. that. Now, that doesn't guarantee success, but, you know, stability goes is a key you know in into developing these programs so i think a lot of the teams that have haven't been where they want to be um have started to move in the right direction which is good for the health of the section and the league um and you know just kind of requires wilson to make sure they're on top of their game that much more um kind of moving forward so that's the 2016 season overview we hope you enjoyed a look at what to expect on the field this year from the Bulldogs. But what can you expect from us here at the Bulldog Hour on game nights? Well, this coming Friday, September 2nd, will be our first go-round of the season. And we implore you to like Wilson Bulldogs football and the Bulldog Hour fan pages on Facebook and follow both accounts on Twitter at Wilson Bulldogs and at Bulldog Hour. On those accounts, both Facebook and Twitter, you can expect live game updates with photos, and hopefully we're going to have some live video um, in key moments during the game and possibly interviews pre-game and post-game with both coaches, players, and possibly uh, famous alumni and former former players. Um, we're also going to hopefully introduce in the coming weeks trivias, contests, or giveaways. Uh, and in addition to the Facebook and Twitter accounts that I already mentioned, um, please follow us on Twitter at JMNJR underscore radio, or you can follow Justin at Mr. Underscore Raffoff or me 
at Coach Joe Mays. And we're also on Instagram at Bulldog Hour. We want to take a moment here to thank our sponsor, Mays Sandwich Shop, who's been sponsoring the show since it started last year. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, we're always accepting sponsors and donations. You can get more information on all of that at BulldogHour.com. All right, Justin, anything to say on this very long second episode of season two? Well, we had a lot to cover. Um, hopefully, um, we have some positives. You know, I know we joked about last year. It seemed like every time we went to do a show, it was following a loss. Yeah, let's, let's not repeat that. Hopefully, we don't have to do that this year. Right. Um, it's a lot better to follow a show after a win. Yes, definitely. Um, so hopefully, we get to do that some more this year. Um, like I said, it, there's a lot of, you know, question marks still about the team. Um, but there are some certainties from the program, you know, and you, you just hope that, um, you know, the guys, the guys buy in and, um, have a successful start to the season and, and continue to get better. That's kind of the key and try and keep that in mind. They, they have a tough non-league schedule. We yes, talked about absolutely. it last year. It's, it's true again this year. Um, in, in reality, I don't know. You, you could make the argument that it's a tougher non-league schedule this year than, than last year. I yeah. don't know. CD because East, of how CD the, the season ended really well. last right. year, you may, um, I don't know, it's tough to say. But it's a, it's a tough tough non-league schedule, so um, there's going to be a lot of learning done early in the season. Hopefully they can they can uh, get some positives out of that and um, get better as the yeah. season goes along. Again, remember, it's, it's about getting better and playing those meaningful games late October into November. So um, hopefully they can get on track um, and hit the ground running. Yeah, visit BulldogHour.com for all your information on the show and everything we're doing to cover Wilson football this year. Season 2, Episode 3 will likely be out either following the Springford game in Week 2 or the Central Dolphin game in Week 3. We will try to, at the latest, just cover the non-league schedule. Uh, but if possible, we'd love to be able to do this every other week uh, and, you know, you can help us by, you know, spreading the word about the show, getting more people interested and in requesting us to do the show. Cause the more people that are watching and listening to us, you know, the more we're going to want to do this and, and bring it to you, um, close to every week. So, um, we'll be back in about two or three weeks with episode three. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bulldog Hour for Justin Raffoff and the Wilson football program. I'm Joe Mays and remember, go Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bulldog Hour. Want more Wilson football? Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Or visit www.bulldoghour.com. The Bulldog Hour is a feature program on jmnjrradio.com.